thank you, Seth and Katie. And I also want to just, before I get rolling um, in today's text, I just want to publicly thank Pastor Brandon um, for filling in last week, last minute. Literally, uh, Friday night, or Saturday night, sorry, uh, Saturday night, um, I think at 9.30, I said, hey man, uh, it hit me, and I am, there's no way I'm going to be able to preach, uh, if you can hear my, my voice is still a little, uh, a little raspy, um, my family and I caught a little, little head congestion, sinus infection or something, I don't know, but uh, feeling better today, and by uh, the power of the Lord, uh, we will uh, work through today's text. But Brandon, thank you. Um, did a wonderful job. If you if you haven't if you didn't listen to uh, that message, um, it's on our Spotify. I um, encourage you to um, check that out. Uh, you can catch any of the uh, messages if you uh, for you college students that want to stay up to date with the uh, Philippians series as we finish out uh, this letter. Um, you know you can continue to follow that uh, as well, so uh, you can stay on track, finish out this letter with us as a church. Uh, today we're going to jump back into Philippians, um, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 6. If you're new to the Bible, it's okay. Uh, don't be embarrassed. Uh, it's toward the end. Ask somebody beside you. Look at your table of contents. Uh, whatever you need to do uh, to get there, uh, but we really feel it's important to look at the Word. We don't put it on the screen because uh, we want you to be able to find and navigate the Bible uh, yourself so that way you can be equipped in your personal study time. Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 6, I'm going to read this. I'm going to ask God to help us, and we will look at what God's Word has to say for us this morning. Philippians 3, verse 1 says this. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, <laughs> I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father God, well, we are extremely grateful that we have your word. Lord, you, you didn't leave us with, with our own ideas. You didn't leave us with uncertainties of, of how we should engage the world around us. You've given us instruction. Lord, so help us take serious the whole counsel of your word. Help us to take serious the correction, the exhortation 
the encouragement that it is. Father, help me today. Give me strength. Help me to decrease. Lord, would you increase? May it be your words speaking. Father, what we know not, would you teach us? And what we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, God, would you give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, God's people said. In a sermon titled, Holding Fast the Faith, preached by Charles Spurgeon on February 5th of 1888. Spurgeon said this. This is long. Try to pay attention. We admire a man who was firm in the faith, say, 400 years ago. The past ages are a sort of bear pit or iron cage for him. But such a man today is a nuisance and must be put down. Call him a narrow-minded bigot, or give him a worse name if you can think of one. Yet imagine that in those ages past, Luther, Zwingle, Calvin, and their compeers had said, the world is out of order, but if we try to set it right, we shall only make a great row and get ourselves into disgrace. Let us just go into our chambers, put on our nightcaps, and sleep over the bad times. And perhaps when we wake up, things will have grown better. He goes on to say, such conduct on their part would have entailed upon us, this is Spurgeon speaking in his time, a heritage of error. Age after age would have gone down into the infernal deeps and the infectious bogs of error would have swallowed all. He says, these men love the faith and the name of Jesus too well to see them trampled on. Note that we owe them and let us pray to our sons the debt we owe our fathers. It is today as it was in the Reformers' Day Decision is needed. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We who have had the gospel passed to us by martyrs' hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by and hear it denied by traitors who pretend to love it, but inwardly abhor every line of it. He says, look you, sirs, there are ages yet to come. If the Lord does not speedily appear, there will come another generation and another, and all these generations will be tainted and injured if we are not faithful to God and to his truth today. I want you to think about those lines for just a moment. Think about especially the question Spurgeon posed to his congregation, to those that were listening that day. He said, here is the day for the man, where is the man for the day? Now, you can insert woman there. Uh, There's nothing different in Spurgeon's day that is in our day. We need strong men and women who will stand firm in the truth of God's word when faced with opposition. I mean, just think about the names that Spurgeon mentions, right? Right? talks about 
those that spoke against the false teachers of their time. And Spurgeon himself never shied away from the opposition. False teachers are they're nothing new, right? Uh, what we see today, some of the things that are happening around us, it's nothing new. And the Bible actually tells us that it will likely get worse as time goes on before Jesus returns. And because of that, we're told that we must contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And as we look at our text today, thank God we see Paul do the same. You see, Paul set the course here, and he writes to this church in Philippi that he loved so deeply. I mean, over and over, Paul tells this church his love for them, how much he cared for them. And it's important to remember how much he loved these brothers and sisters as we look at this text and many other texts, right, that, that give us warning and, and correction. Because listen, it is loving. Pastor Brandon said this a couple weeks ago. It is loving to correct those we love. That is a loving thing to do. Uh, when we see the well-being of those we love in danger, it is loving to correct them, to speak truth in love. Let's face it, right? Let's be honest. Modern-day Christianity, they don't like that type of language. Uh, we want to be nice. We want everybody to like us, right? We want to be affirmed by everybody. We want everyone to, you know, we can't offend anyone. And this ideology is pervasive in the modern evangelical church. I mean, many have forgotten the words of our Savior in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I mean, if this was our master, our Savior, our Lord speaking, saying, this is what happened to me. You better expect it to happen to you. Praise God for faithful men like the Apostle Paul who understood and lived by this truth, who understood this. And see, at this point of the letter, Paul starts to address the church in Philippi, he addresses them with the threats that his reader is faced with head on. I mean, he holds no punches here. He goes on the offense here and launches an attack on the Judaizers who threatened the church by campaigning for erroneous additions to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the title of today's message, Erroneous additions to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at today are the additions to the gospel that were threatening the church in Philippi. Then we're going to make some cultural connections, some of the things that we are more connected uh, with today that we see more in our current culture. And then we're going to see the boldness of the Apostle Paul, standing firm, speaking truth as he addresses these threats. And then I'm going to leave you with two questions. Two questions that I'm 
want us all to ponder towards the end of our time that we will think about today. But let's look at verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Now, here Paul starts this section by saying finally. Um, And this word finally is more of a transitional word, uh, more or less than uh, kind of a coming to an end. Um, And it was common practice in his time of writing to use this phrase as a writer moved from one thought to another. And here what Paul reminds these Christians again to do is to do what? Rejoice in the Lord. I mean, Paul's point is pretty clear here. He uses the Greek words for joy and rejoice 16 times in only 104 verses. I mean, he is expounding the fact that as Christians, we have much to rejoice about. Amen? His point is this. No matter our circumstances. Hey, listen. No matter your circumstances, this is for each and every one of you, you always, capital A-L-W-A-W-S, always, underline, bold, always have reason to rejoice in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is just as true now as it was then if you were a born-again believer. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have full reason to rejoice. See, what could be better than knowing that the greatest and most significant debt that you owe, your, your life, the penalty for your sin, for your rebellion against God, if you don't think you have it, uh, news for you, you do. Maybe you don't have kids yet. Um, once you see them, you don't teach them, right? talk about that a lot. Just naturally disobedient. We all are. We read earlier, born in sin. Naturally rebellious people. But the debt we owe, the price that we should pay, has been paid for by Jesus Christ himself. He gave his life a ransom for many. And because of him, now we can be in right relationship with the creator of the universe. Only because of him. That is a joyful promise that we should rehearse consistently. And because Christ died the death you deserve, that, look, we get the life we don't deserve. We get it now, and we get it for eternity. We get to enjoy the perfection of holy God forever. It's good news, brothers and sisters. And see, we often forget this glorious truth of the gospel because we get wrapped up in our current circumstances, right? We all do. And obviously, this isn't new to humanity because guess what? Paul found it necessary to remind these brothers and sisters 16 times in this short letter. We need gospel reminders. We need to encourage each other 
in the gospel. You never outgrow the gospel. Right? You, you, you never outgrow your need of a reminder of what Christ has done. Now, yes, we grow and we learn and we want to grow and we want to be strengthened in our knowledge of God's word. But at the core, the gospel is the foundation. And we need to be reminded of that. I know I need to be reminded of that because I know my sinfulness. Get over one thing, here it is another. Impatient. Frustrations. Pride of flesh, wanting things. It, it, it Consistently, I want my own way. But we need to be reminded of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, especially for our church members, let us be a people that remind one another of the gospel. Encourage one another in the gospel. Amen? Verses 2 and 3, we see this stark contrast between two groups of people here. Okay, here Paul calls out the false teachers that were threatening this community in verse 2. And then in verse 3, he gives a description of who the actual true believers were. Verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul calls these false teachers three terms here. He calls them dogs, evildoers, and mutilators, Right? I mean, it's not very flattering terms, not a very flattering description of this group of people. Now, Paul is referring to the Judaizers of his day. And the Judaizers were a group of Christians who insisted that Gentile Christians, that's anyone who's not a Jew, right, anybody, if you weren't a Jew by your ethnicity, you were a Gentile. These people were saying that those who weren't Jews had to submit to the Mosaic law, including circumcision. So this group, they, they were advocates of this Jesus plus works, plus something. You had to do something on top of faith alone in Christ alone. Paul wasn't having it. Paul's not having any of it. I mean, I imagine them approaching the church, right, that Paul had started with this group of people uh, Paul loved these brothers and sisters. He had ministered to these brothers and sisters. He had helped to establish this church. And, and, and then he went on about his missionary journeys. And here these Judaizers are coming in, and they're, they're threatening them, right? They're saying, yeah, you know, I, we know what Paul taught you, you know, faith in, uh, by grace, through faith in Christ. But you've you got to do this too. You, you've got to add a little bit to that whole faith in Jesus thing. You need to follow this. You, you, you've got to do that. He's like, yeah, th that's just part of it, right? You know, it's just part, the whole faith in Jesus thing. That's just a part. We've got the real thing. We've got the, you know, you want to be a real Christian? <laughs> you want to be like a step above? This is what you need to do. They're saying like we're the elite group. <laughs> we're the ones that really have it all together here. And you can be too if you just Join us. Like a Ponzi scheme, right? Can you imagine the confusion that brought these Christians? 
Imagine the, the threat that it imposed on these brothers and sisters, this church. I mean, maybe some were buying into this false teaching. I mean, Paul found it necessary to write this in his letter, to include this warning, an exhortation. So maybe there were some that were, were, were following this false teaching that they were being presented with. I mean, the text doesn't tell us, but whatever the case, it was bad enough for Paul to write about it. Paul starts by calling them dogs. He says, the dogs, right? And this term was carefully chosen by Paul to achieve intense irony, actually. Not merely just derogatory speech. Now, for the Jews, the term dogs carried a religious sense to it. For the Jews, they would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And, and the reason why that they would refer to them is because the Gentiles, according to them, were outside of the original covenant. They, they were outside of the community, and they were considered by the Jews ritually unclean. They, they were unfit. They were unclean. See, dogs in this day and time, they weren't man's best friend, Right? I'm a dog guy. I like dogs. Hey, if you like cats, that's on you. That's your problem. You can talk to God about that later. But, you know, dogs are great. They come up to you. They rub you and lick you. And, you know, you can rub them. They want to be near you. Cats just kind of, anyway. Um, but in, in Paul's day and time, dogs were not man's best friend. They were considered scavengers. They were considered uh, these uh, scavengers of the uh, street. They were unwanted uh, nuisances. They would just kind of roam around in packs, and they would eat whatever they could get to. They, could, they were just kind of these, uh, they're like seagulls, right, at the beach. You know, you throw something out, right, they're just all swarming in. Nuisances. And the Jews used to say that about the Gentiles. Say, y'all, not a part of this. You're not a part of this family that God created. We're the elite. We're the ones. He says they were unclean, unwanted scavengers in God's created world. But here, Paul, I love it, right? He flips the script on them. He flips the script on these Judaizers, those that would impose this ideology that, hey, y'all are the dogs, right? Paul says, no, no, no. Paul calls them dogs. He says, because of Jesus Christ, now there's been a great reversal here. What you have been calling them now is imposed on you. Without faith in Christ, in Christ alone, you are the dogs. You are the ones that are outside. You are the ones that are, that are running around trying to grab whatever you can get, trying to do whatever you can do, trying to manipulate whatever situations you can. You are outside the true faith. He says now it is those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone who were included in God's family. And those that would add anything else 
to faith in Christ alone are actually the outsiders. They are the dogs. So there's nothing you can do. <laughs> hey, there's nothing you can do to add to your salvation. That's good news for you. It's faith alone. Paul goes on to further develop his point by calling these group, this group, evildoers. Now, this doesn't simply mean just like doing wrong or sinning. Here, Paul is actually refuting the Judaizers' claims that they were doing the works of the law, right? That they were doing something good. Because they're saying, hey, what we're doing is the right thing. He's like, no, actually, what you're doing is the wrong thing. You're actually evildoers. You're not doing good work. You are an evildoer. Their erroneous addition to the gospel was not good. Paul says it's evil. Those that are promoting anything other than faith alone are themselves evil doers. And then he gives a third description of this group. He says they are those who mutilate the flesh. And what Paul is essentially saying here is that those who practice any type of Jewish rituals in addition to faith alone in Christ are nothing more than mutilators of the flesh. They're destructive. Their works gain no righteousness or favor with God at all, period. Now, in our day, in our culture, you're probably not going to be confronted by a lot of Judaizers, right? Probably not going to be confronted by a lot of people that are going to suggest your allegiance to the Mosaic law for uh, your salvation. It's probably not going to be very common, especially in our community. But let's look at uh, some of the things that maybe we are confronted with, some of the things that are some erroneous additions to the gospel, adding something to faith alone, by grace, through faith in Christ. One thing we may see is moralism. See a lot of moralism in our culture, right? Uh, moralism is just kind of, the, you know, this idea that, you know, God helps those who help themselves type of idea. You know, and if, if you do these things and, you know, if you just push a little hard and, uh, and, or if you push hard, you know, then, then God will, will do the rest and he'll, you know, you got to do some good works. And as long as you live a good, healthy and good, positive life and you do good things for other people, you know, God's just going to, he's going to push on and he'll give you eternal life by rewarding you. And, and, and that is an erroneous addition to the gospel. Now, we are created for good works. They were prepared beforehand for us in Christ Jesus. That's what the Scripture tells us. And we do not do works to gain favor. We're saved, and then we're moved towards good works, towards love for one another, towards love for those around us. So anyone that says to you that you must do whatever, fill in the blank, plus Jesus is presenting to you an erroneous addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another one that is very common, there are some Pentecostal circles that suggest there is a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
There's the second uh, separation of, of some who uh, would then be uh, the spiritual elite, and they're, you know, these are the ones that are saved, kind of, but like you're really saved when you get the second baptism. You're, you're really, and you're going to get signs of that by like, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, and maybe you might heal a person or two. You might have a prof- some prophecy, and uh, there's this, all these signs, right? These secondary signs. And brothers and sisters, that is an erroneous addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no separation. You are saved or you are not. When we are saved, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's done. Amen. Thank you. That's it. There's no separation of some that have the Spirit and some that don't. We're sealed, Ephesians tells us. Another erroneous addition to the gospel that we see very common in our day and age is the prosperity gospel. Uh, the prosperity, right? It's a perversion of the gospel. Some call it the health, wealth, and prosperity. But what the prosperity gospel is is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus that claims that God rewards increases in faith with increases in health and wealth and prosperity. So see, it's like you, you have more faith, you'll get more blessings. If you can just only like activate, that's a term they like to use, activate your faith. You know, I don't know, I don't know where my activation switch is. If they can tell me, I'll be glad, right? But some people, they think this way, that if you just have more faith, if you can just do this, if you can just add to your faith somehow, then God will give you whatever your heart desires. And listen, this adds a God's got to bless me physically. God's got to bless me tangibly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is an erroneous addition to the gospel. If God never does anything else for you on this side of eternity, he's done enough. Amen? Another one. I know some of y'all are waiting for this one. Another addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the social gospel. We see it very common, very rampant in our day and age. The social gospel adds an unhealthy and unbiblical aspect of cultural redemption to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In this group, we have those that, that would evaluate the church by what they are doing in their social spheres. See, those that aren't doing enough good and social good in the eyes of social justice warriors are ridiculed and chastised for their lack of engaging in gospel issues. And and everything is a gospel issue to this group. They include Everything. Uh, This group will evaluate a healthy church by their pursuit of diversity and social good rather than their pursuit of holiness and Christ likeness as the Bible has called us to. That's how we are supposed to be evaluated. This is what God's Word tells us that we should pursue first. And foremost, see, the gospel is a 
message. It's a message of good news. And the gospel is changed from a message, the good news, that by faith we are united to Christ and to one another, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of where we came from, to a works-based religion that holds humanity's responsibility as the ones that create the family that the Bible said Jesus died for. Let me remind you of Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. If you got your Bible in your hand, you can turn there real quick. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. See, we don't create the family. God does. Jesus did. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Let me read this for us. Therefore, remember that at one time, You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the what? blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two. Who creates it? He does. He says, In verse 16, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's talking about this ethnic hostility that was against, or that was uh, prevalent in their day. And in verse 17, he goes on, he says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are what? You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, God does the work of uniting us through Christ, and we must live in accordance to our bond in Christ by promoting the only hope that anyone has for true unity, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The social gospel is an erroneous addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we must make a stand against it. So many try to promote this thought in the church today. Paul then goes on. He identifies those who are actually the true believers in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. So here Paul says that real Christians are those who worship by the Spirit of God. And and how do you worship by the Spirit of God? Well, you're changed internally by Christ. 
They're not putting any confidence in the external, in the, the things of the flesh. Anything, in other words, that they could do on their own. It's Christ who unites. It is Christ who joins them. Look, isn't that so combative to our natural bend? I don't know about you, but I like credit when I do things. I mean, I, I like to do things. You know, men like to, most men like to work with their hands, like to build stuff. And, you know, want to sit back and look at it and make sure everybody sees that, yeah, I did that, right? You know, I did that. We want credit, and that's not necessarily we want to honor those around us, right? Honored Pastor Brandon for faithfully uh, preaching God's word last week, stepping in last minute. We want to honor those around us. But, man, our natural inclination in our flesh is to want credit. We want to be rewarded. We want to say that we played a part. Some of y'all are like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> Absolutely. We all have that. It's just in us. But Paul says when it comes to salvation, guess what, brothers and sisters? You get no credit. <laughs> Ain't nothing you can do. Nothing you can add to it. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. Nothing you can do. And look, that should give you confidence. For any of all that are struggling in your faith, struggling with assurance of salvation, and take full confidence in the Lord that he who completed, he who began a good work in you will complete it. The day of Christ our Lord. He goes on here and he tells the church that regarding the false teaching coming from the Judaizers, he says, basically, I've been there and I've done that. <laughs> He's like, everything that they're saying that you need to do, look, I've done that. I have done it all. He says in verse 3, he says, don't put confidence in the flesh, but if you could, he's like, I would be the goat. That means the greatest of all times, for those that don't know. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason, he's like, I myself, Paul, I've got reason for confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, guess what? I got more. I mean, Paul's boasting here a little bit. He's talking about the things that have happened to him. He lists seven things here in verses 5 and 6. The first four that he lists are inherited privileges. And the final three are personal accomplishments. So the first four, just something that he just, a privilege that he got. The last three are personal things that he has done. So let's walk through these really quickly. Uh, it says in verse 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, what this shows is that he was in strict compliance with the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic law. He, he did it. The eighth day was kind of, you must do it then in that time. And so he's saying, hey, the thing that these false teachers are promoting, did that one. Check. And then he says, of the people of Israel. Now, racially, he was a pure-blooded Israelite. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I was born into this privilege. He's like, listen, I am a total insider to what you're suggesting. Like, if anyone has reason to boast, it's me, right? Check. 
He says, then of the tribe of Benjamin. So direct uh, connection to the tribe of ben- Benjamin during this time was huge. Okay, the tribe of Benjamin was an elite tribe, uh, considered very high during this time. Uh, Benjamin was the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons. He was born to his favorite wife. That's a whole other thing, Rachel. And his tribe was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah and the house of David after the death of Solomon. So not only was Paul an insider, he was like an elite insider. Then it says he was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. This means that he was well-educated. Uh, uh, scholars say that he probably spoke um, about three different languages, very fluent, while most Jewish people only spoke one during that time. But Paul was, he was trained. He studied under one of the uh, greatest rabbis during his time. I mean, he, was, he, he had sat under the teaching of one of the greatest teachers, and then he had became a great teacher himself. So we see these four credentials that Paul is saying, I had before I did anything at all. (laughs) Before I did one thing, these were given to me. But then he says, look, I didn't stop there. I didn't stop with just the things that were given to me. I went on and kept going. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, first century Pharisees were the most influential group. They were respected group in Israel. Um, there's a, a lot that can be said about them, but they were one of the most respected schools of thought in that day and time. There, there weren't a lot of Pharisees, and he's like, hey, I was a Pharisee. Then he says, as to zeal, zeal just means kind of a devotion or commitment here in this context. He says, I was a persecutor of the church. Uh, if you remember, right, Paul, uh, before he became Paul, he was Saul. And Paul, uh, Saul at that time, he constructed a terror campaign toward the church, right? Persecuted the church. He imprisoned Christians, uh, uh, had Christians killed. He was a, kind of a feared uh, terrorist among Christians in his day and age. So he's saying, hey, listen, I-, I, was like, I was the most zealous. I was the most dedicated to this idea. I was more dedicated than anybody, most dedicated of all of you. And then he says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Now, this means that his conduct was extremely blameless against the law. Uh, what this means is that he lived in a way that his life was a life that could be modeled by those, by his peers, right? By the other Pharisees, by those that would attempt to follow the Mosaic law as he did during that time. Now, this isn't a bad list of accolades for Uh, someone that would uh, be standing in the face of Judaizers who are presenting this idea that the things that they were presenting as a means of salvation, Paul says, I have done it, and I've done it better than anyone else. But for Paul, that meant nothing. He's going to go on, verses 7 through 11, uh, that we're going to look at next week. And he's going to uh, expound his theology deeper and deeper of what faith in Christ looks like. But as we reflect on this portion of the letter today, I want to draw your attention. I want to circle back to the beginning. 
Because what I believe this text shows us and tells us and what he, the reason why he writes this to this church is because he's warning them, right? I mean, it's pretty clear. He's saying, and he's calling out these people. He's saying that there are some people that are threatening your well-being, brothers and sisters. And as a church, as Christians in our day, there are many that are doing the same. There are many that would love to swing you away from faith alone, in Christ alone. And as we reflect, I want to remind us of the words of Spurgeon. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? I want to ask you two questions. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Let me give you a few moments to pause and think about them, and you can think about them later as well. We'll pause, we'll think about them, then we're going to celebrate, actually, the Lord's Supper today as we celebrate the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have two questions for you. One, are you guilty of adding anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And look, that could be anything. I mean, that could be, you know, money, the good life, fame, popularity, respect, I mean, it could be anything. Are you adding anything to the gospel? Anything at all. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's health. Second question I have for you, or how do you confront erroneous additions to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you confront them? Do you confront them like Paul did in the first century? You confront them like the reformers did in the 16th? You were confront them like Spurgeon in the 19th? I mean, who's going to be the ones that stand up today? Who are going to be the ones that, the, the, the few, that stand up, speak truth and love, when confronted with falsehoods, confronted with ideologies that, don't quite add up to what God's Word tells us. There's, there's always a, a little bit of truth in every lie, right? And, and that's what people, any good lie, that's what people do. It's what false teachers do. Now, to stand up against erroneous additions to the gospel, you've got to know the gospel. You gotta be reminded of the gospel. You must know your word. Man, turn off Netflix. Probably shouldn't have it anyway. Get in your word. Study God's word. Look at what God's word says. When faced with current cultural climate that we're in. And that's the only way. I mean, when you can coast through this life, you can jellyfish all you want, right? Flounder. And that's fine. But where is the man for the day? If you're not a believer of this glorious gospel, my challenge to you today is to talk to the Lord. And he didn't stop saving when he saved me. His grace, his mercies are new every day. Goodness of Jesus, the 
goodness of following Christ far exceeds anything that can be offered in this world. Let's take a moment, pause, reflect. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together as we reflect on our Savior. Father God, Lord, my prayer is that we would be a church that stands firm on truth. That we would be a people that lovingly confront those that would promote a false gospel. That we would speak the truth in love. That we would be known by our love for one another. That through that love, for one another, we would make an impact on the world around us. And that, God, we would point all glory. We would deflect any glory, any confidence that we may have in ourselves, and we would point it to you. Lord, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice right now who does not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, those that may not truly believe in faith alone, Christ alone, God, I pray that you would speak to them, Lord. Work in their lives in this moment, even as we pause to take a moment and reflect on our Savior's death. I would hope this be a moment that compels each and every person to a life committed to you. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.